This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, my father. Uh, hi, Ernie. How are you doing, Mom? Pretty good. You finished with tennis? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. See, um, the first time I'm playing after uh, all the excitement. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, the okay. Break up, right? Because of the wedding and uh, then the COVID. <laughs> so, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So. You had like one uh, game after you got back to Illinois before everything yeah. was crazy? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so this is your this is your return to normality is when you're able to play tennis again. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, um, not completely normal yet. So, <laughs> what's uh, still going on? Um, for some reason, I don't know if it's allergies or what. I had a lot of runny nose and stuffy nose. Things like that. Mm-hmm. So I took a antihistaminic for a little drowsy and things like that. So anyway, but it felt good to be on the tennis court and play. Yeah. Um, yeah. After we finish the thing, I'll give you some other news. But uh, right now, we can. Okay. This is being recorded, right? So. Yeah. All right, yeah. We'll there, we're not posted. We'll oh, see how the rest of the yeah. conversation goes. How are you following. doing? Doing okay. Let's see. Let me. I'm hanging out in the playroom because. Yeah, both the, of them. Both the dogs. Uh, no, they're both home. The, one second, Ernie. I just yeah. uh, hook up the earphone. One okay. second. Hi, Ernie. Hey. Yeah, one mm-hmm. second. I, I'm just putting the ear plugs in there. Right. Almost going to get Frolic remote. Uh, for, so, Frolic is doing what? I'm going to get Frolic's remote. So Uncle Johan got him a little buzzer collar. Yeah. And so Quinn, no, Quinn, no. Um, so um, we're trying to teach him to stop chewing on things. Right. And so I figured, so I'm currently hanging out in the playroom so that um so they come to the playroom they don't normally but like christine just cleaned the playroom so it's as tidy as it's ever been <laughs> okay. and so frolic has his buzz collar on mm. and so i'm trying to see if i can use that to train him to hang out in the playroom without eating things. Of course, I have to make sure the kids didn't leave any food here. That Quinn would eat things. <laughs> okay. And then also, Quinn has this amazing gift of being able to walk by a computer and get tangled up in all the cables. Oh, no. And so, <laughs> if you're not careful, he'll unplug everything, which used yeah. to be quite an adventure at work. All right. So, hopefully, <laughs> but, um, so hopefully, I'll keep an eye on Frolic, and he will get used to being here without wreaking havoc. So okay. uh, the big All thing right. I wanted to tell you about, and I figured I'd do it directly over the phone because last time it freaked you out a little bit, is I'm starting a side gig. And two things okay. are important. One is that it's not a startup. Uh-huh. And the second thing is that Sundia is on board. Okay. Because uh, those were the uh, two stress factors last time I mentioned something like this. And so yeah. trying to... Oh, this, uh, this is a different one than the one that you mentioned earlier? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's different things every week, so I'm never quite sure which ones I'm talking about to whom and when. Okay. But so uh, a couple of things going on. Frolic, stay away from the cables. Um, so the – no, he's just licking the base of the computer. I don't know why he does that. Frolic's <laughs> two reactions. One is that when he – if you, like, try to make him do something he doesn't want to, he'll just flop over on his back and just oh, really? him. Yeah, the frolic flop. And the second thing is that if he's not sure what to do, he just starts licking. So he'll lick yeah. Quinn, he'll lick your legs, he'll lick the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> okay. yeah. He's licking my hand right now because I made him stop licking the PC. Yeah. Okay. They're not supposed to have any food here, but Quinn is determined to find out whether that's true. Yeah, <laughs> he's the wood finder. The comp- compost police. If anyone doesn't throw compost away properly, he will find them. Oh, okay. Um so anyway, uh, sequence of events. So 
So one thing that's, that's been going on is this thing called the, the Maven Course Accelerator. I don't know if I told you about this. No. So, um, uh, so a little background. So there's a thing called cohort-based courses. The idea okay. is that the best way people learn is not sitting and listening to a lecture. I think everyone sort of agreed on that, but it's just we have a habit of doing that. And right. it's not just sitting by yourself. Uh, and doing projects. I mean, that can work, but that makes a lot of yeah. energy and discipline. So the best mm. way to structure things is what they call a cohort-based course. You get a group of people together. It could be a, like a small, tight, synchronous cohort, like, you know, a, a few dozen people, or it could be like a giant, you know, online community of a mm. few hundred people. But the idea is that you're all on this journey together. And so... Um, yeah, but when you go past a little critical number, then uh, it's harder to manage, isn't it? Well, there's different ways to do it, right? It depends on your yeah. goals and yeah. you know, what failure rate is considered acceptable. You know, there's a trade-off. Like if you have a small, tight group, there's a high chance of success, but a frog yeah. found a stuffed animal. Nice try. <laughs> like frog can find stuffed animals the way Quinn can find food. He's very uh, oh, determined. Uh, <laughs> and... I find the only room I can sort of stay safely with Frolic in is Rohan's room because he's there mm. often enough that he's, he's uh, extracted right, he's everything so. worth <laughs> yeah, chewing on it. And, and, and you can put him in his crate and he'll settle down. Okay. Um, Frolic, no. No. No, Frolic. He keeps trying to dive into the pit of uh, stuffed animals and find something to chew. See if he mm. can... He's getting better. Like he's the walls have come down between him and the rest of the house, or most of the house. Right, right. And so he's we're sort of having to. So we're. Johan says he's beyond the stage where he has to chew, and now he does it mm. as sort of a game. And if we just teach him that that's not the right game, then hopefully he will move on. Okay. And anyway. Okay. Quinn, no. So, no okay. Quinn, come on, away from the cable. Um, all right. So. The idea of these court-based courses is a, is a, is a big deal. It's kind of like the next big wave after traditional okay. education and MOOCs and things like that. Okay. And then there's a company I ran into called Maven, where their business model is helping people create and sell and host cohort-based courses. Okay. Uh, so the idea is that they handle uh, all of the uh, logistics. Logistics. Where do you put your information? Like, how do you get people to sign up? How do you process payments? Uh -huh. How do you uh -huh. distribute materials? How do you track attendance? Uh, they basically created a platform that does everything. Because before, the okay. people were, like, either building custom solutions or you cobbled together, like, five or six different tools to do all these things. Right. And so the, the current version of their platform, which is still in beta, it's not, like, a commercial product yet, uh, but they're doing okay. it as a test uh, testing is you have to have a Zoom license for the video conferencing, but everything okay. else is integrated into the Maven platform. So it'll be a, it'll be a, a it'll be a Zoom. So you'll be seeing the people that are there. Okay. So yeah. So yes, yeah, so if you do live sessions, you do it with Zoom, and they recommend you do it with live sessions the first few times, and then after you've you know recorded those, then you can turn it into a video-based course, you know, which okay. is less labor-intensive. So that's kind of their product vision. Uh, so mm. courses, my ben. And then the way that they are uh, doing their private beta is they have something called the Maven Course Accelerator, mm. so like an incubator for a startup. They say, hey, if you want to do a course, if you have either an existing course you want to bring online or onto our platform, or you want to develop a new course, come here and we will teach you best practices mm. how to do these cohort-based courses. Okay. And so I thought about this. Ah, oh, this could be an interesting framework to try and do DBJ by discipling by Jesus thing that we did a year and a half ago. Right. Uh, you know, and because it's kind of the same thing. You have a small group of people. You have uh, some resources. You have videos. And it's like, okay, you know, it could work, and it gives me a role model to work from, right? Because they have all this training and like, this is the best practices. This is what's worked and what doesn't. This is what you should try mm. first. And this is what you learn. It's like, oh, okay. I, this is part of, I'm part of a community that's trying to solve these kinds of problems rather than having mm. to figure out everything on my own. Okay. So um, I applied in December. I didn't get in. And then so much to my surprise, I got in in 
uh, May, I think just mm. before I went to Illinois. So yeah. I actually spent some time filling out a bunch of forms. Uh, Rohan did a little coaching with me during one of our bike rides. Mm. <laughs> he said, oh, you should do it like this. You should call it this. You shouldn't do that. Like he's always very thoughtful and uh, mm. opinionated in terms of uh, oh, working with Apple. When you went for a bike ride in, in Rochelle? When you went for no, the bike yeah, ride in right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was oh, fun. Good. So I've been working on that, and they had some deadlines on Monday. I was trying to get some stuff ready for. And this is all by way of preamble and saying that, like, I got really stressed about it and decided not to do it. Um, especially because the funny part uh, was that, so I was going to do, like, a six-week DBJ course like we did last year. Right. But they said, you know, for your first course, you shouldn't do something six weeks long because mm. it's a lot of commitments on both their end and yours. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you go into it in two weeks and you realize, oops, I'm doing the wrong thing, then that's mm. really stressful. Especially because uh, the other thing that's worth pointing out is that Maven, their typical course is like $500. For uh, person? As opposed to like, uh, yeah, because they're professional development. They're teaching you how to right. grow your business or how right. to you know, right. get a promotion, yeah. things like that. And yeah. so I thought that my first instinct was say, okay, crap, the thing I want to do doesn't fit. And yeah. then I thought of myself, well, you know, what would I feel good charging a few hundred dollars for? And I said, oh, mm. if it wasn't about just running a Bible study, but how mm. to transform your church around this vision of discipleship, right? Okay. And, you know, people mm. spend $500 to go away for a weekend conference all the time, right? That's mm. considered sort of a normal investment. And if it's things like a pastor – uh, or a ministry leader, like this is going to help them be more effective in the ministry. That's something I mm. can charge $500 for. Right. And so that was mm. like, that could work, right. It's at least worth playing with it as the idea and running it through the Maven process and see if it actually works. Mm. But, but that would be like a six week thing. And they said, okay, well, you need to do something smaller. Mm. And so I said, no, oh, I should, I said, okay, like, like what can I do with like a one day thing that's easy to market? Mm. And so they said, oh, um, you know, first, you know, they have these things called five light bulbs. There's like, where's the person at? What is the thing they need? Uh, what would it take to get them there? Things like that. And mm. so it really forced me to think about, like, who is my ideal customer for something like this? It'll be something okay. like the, the pastor of my church, someone who's in a pastor or a leadership role, highly relational. Okay. Right? It's all about, you know, because some people, they're in more of a, you know, programmatic role or an mm. executive role, right, where they're organizing mm. things or studying things. But the people that I'm right. interested in are people who actually have relationships with the people they're trying to serve. Mm. And I was thinking, well, what do they need? And I was thinking, the first thing I was like, they need a break, right? If you're a relational leader over the last two years, it's got to be such a burnout. Yeah, <laughs> you know? okay, yeah, yeah. And, and so they're like, oh, what I should do is I should come up with like a spa day for your spirit, mm. right? A spiritual spa, like where you can just come in and soak and be relaxed and feel pampered and feel the love of God and be renewed and refreshed. So I was thinking, okay, so let's try, let's do that as the pilot is to do this uh, thing about relaxation and getting rid of stress. And using the okay. same sort of format of reflecting on scripture and taking communion together, but in mm. this concept of like Jesus's easy yoke. Mm. Uh, and so that was the idea. So that was a, and so I was trying to work on this and get done day for this uh, deadline. They mm. had like, if you get it done by Monday, you get these extra bonus coaching sessions okay. or whatever. Okay. And I found myself getting really stressed mm. Monday. Like I hadn't been able to finish it over the weekend and like I had stuff to do at work and there's all these other things going on. And it struck me like, okay, this is highly ironic that I'm mm. trying to write a course about how <laughs> to make people do It's like, okay, it's and so I had to be like, okay, <laughs> let me just do a reset. Uh. Okay? And that was like looking at the customer market and what do they need, right? Mm. And what do they want? And it's like, okay, yeah. that's the thing they want, but like I can't quite pull it off at least on this time frame. And why mm. not? It's like, well, actually, there's other things that are causing me more stress. Yeah. And I should be dealing with my stress mm. before I deal with this other stress. And so some of the stress right. is what I haven't, like, like, this is like a big deal. It requires a lot of preparation. I have to get a lot of people on board. Mm. I haven't actually talked about it with the family and gone through all of those mm. dynamics. 
And, and the other thing is that like, it's going to be like months before I make any money from this thing. And I'll have to invest a fair amount of time. In how it do, how, how do you make money? How do you make money? So, so the other way the platform works on Maven is you charge mm. people whatever you want and they take 10%. Mm. So it's really flexible and their business model. But the minimum is 500 to... though. Minimum no, is 500. The minimum. That's not the minimum, mm. but that's the norm on their community. That's the sorts of things they sell. That's sort of the um, duction value. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. All right, so I could okay. do something there, but it would probably be a mm. poor fit to their culture and their vibe, right? It's like, I don't know if you know this, every TV channel has like mm. a prediction, production value per minute mm. of how they do stuff. And like, if you're at a home and garden show, it's like, you know, $100 a minute or you know, $1,000 a minute. If you're like on a network TV, it's like, you know, mm. you know a million, it's like, you know, $100,000 a minute, right? And, and you have to fit in that channel because people, when they show up on that channel, they expect a certain thing, mm. right? And, if you, you know, YouTube is very different than what you expect on Netflix, mm. right? Right. And even Netflix right. is different than what you expect from HBO, right? Yeah. And so Maven is this channel, mm. um, and if you, you match their production values, then you get mm. all these benefits. And if you don't, then you're kind of fighting uphill. And the whole reason of doing mm. this is I want to do the thing that they're doing so I can get the benefit of it. Um, so anyway, okay. Uh, very, this is a very long story, but this is my chance to catch up with you. What's going on in my life? And uh, okay, uh, I'll listen to the podcast if we go there. So anyway, so I was getting stressed. I said, okay, what am I stressed about, and what do I actually want? I said, you know, this feels like a lot of work. And we're also going to a point where we want to be investing more in the kids' future. Like you know, okay. Joshua's starting school in the fall. We're thinking about like you know we're not sure, but you know for example, if he decides to go into musical theater. The best school oh. in the country is Carnegie Mellon University, oh, you know, okay. which costs mm. like you know eighty thousand dollars a year, okay, with tuition and fees and housing and everything. And originally, I was right. just like, we could go to a like a you know a school like Minerva, which is one hundred thousand dollars for four years, right? Okay. Which is, okay. You know, and like and and by the time he graduates in four years, Carnegie Mellon could be one hundred thousand dollars a year, right? So there's yeah, all sorts yeah. of uh, issues around that. And mm. I was getting stressed about it. Then I realized, wait, like the worst case scenario is he you know, takes a year off or doesn't go to college or whatever. It's like, it's like, I don't know why I'm getting so stressed about this because mm. like, I don't even care that much about college, but I'm getting into it. And then I get in stress. It's like, this is challenge, right? Either you mm. care and you get stressed or you don't mm. care and other people get stressed. So mm. I'm like, okay, what would be the ideal thing I could do? So, well, you know, if I could find something that I was already doing that I could do cheaply, that would mm. make a little bit of money, then that mm. would actually reduce the family stress because I would feel like I'm contributing to the college fund and, and so forth. And I would get a quicker feedback cycle. Okay. Uh, where, so rather than like spending three months, like spending, you know, uh, you know, a month writing a pilot course and then a month running the pilot course and then a month mm. rewriting everything and then launching a six week course, you know, it's going to take like six months before I make any significant amount of money. And before right. I found out where the idea even works, right? Like, holy right. doing accelerator, let's just try this thing and see if it works. Mm. But if it takes six months and is generating all this stress, then that seems like a bad idea. So I was thinking, huh, well, what could I do instead? So um, along the way, I was talking with a friend of mine, a guy named Michael Horn. I've mm. been uh, sort of uh, – pimping his book to my friends at Valley Christian School. He's writing a book about the future of education and reinventing the public schools. He's a mm. you know, very uh, established figure in this community. I met him when he was working out here in Silicon Valley. He has a couple okay. of podcasts and a think tank and all these sorts of things that he does. And we were talking about this thing called Con World School, which is, you've heard of Khan Academy? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Right, and so they, they do all these sort uh, of similar, to, they, yeah, similar to Sylvan, right? Or similar to Sylvan, or different. Well, so they no, no, no. So it's con, yeah, sort of like, and that they created this online tutoring. This Indian guy mm. was tutoring his relatives, and he started mm. putting his tutoring videos up on YouTube for his relatives to watch, and suddenly mm. everybody started watching them, and now they have like oh, millions okay. of people around the world who watch mm. his videos. Okay. And along the way, he's developed all these assessments and workbooks mm. and things like that. And he even runs a lab school up here in Mountain View. 
where there's like 100 mm. students where they try to say like, what if we built a school without mm. lecture, right? Where the kids just okay. use the videos and they use modern technology to learn as fast as they can. Mm. And okay. so, uh, and uh, my friend Rohit, his kids actually went to, or I think are still going to that lab school, the Khan Academy oh, Lab okay. School. And okay. Cal, they were thinking like, maybe down the road, we'll do a few more lab schools in different places. Mm. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. And they yeah. said, oh crap. They're like we're seeing this huge spike of people in Korea watching all these videos because mm. they're in lockdown. And they're like, oh, well, we okay. should do something for all these people who are in lockdown. Mm. And, and so they did. And of course, as you know, the rest of the world spent like a year and a half in lockdown. Yeah. And most of the people who did remote schooling did it really badly. <laughs> like Valley Christian mm. did better than most in that the teachers were engaged and they had technology and everybody had electronic devices. But it was a disaster and a tragedy for most of the world. Okay. And a lot of people said, well, remote learning is stupid. It'll never work. It's a bad idea. Mm. Other people said, well, no. Schools that actually knew what they were doing and had the right tools and the right training did an amazing mm. job under remote learning. And in fact, mm. you find a few pockets where certain schools that were really designed for this had better outcomes than your typical school does in an average year. Really? Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's not mm. well known, mm. but it's true. Like there's people who have spent years and, and he says, and there's a couple of things that you, and so he spent, they're like, you know, huh? So it's possible to do remote learning well, but it's, it's much easier to do it badly. So how do we make it easier to do it well? Mm. And Actually, this actually ties into the point I mentioned earlier about cohort-based courses. Is okay. the number one problem with remote learning is loneliness. Right. The sense that you're in this all by yourself, right? Yeah. Which is interesting yeah. uh, as a concept because um, that's also the reason I wanted to join the Maven Accelerator because I was okay. I felt like I was doing this thing all by myself. Okay. And if you can be part of a group of people who are working mm. on the same problem or similar problems, mm. then you just feel like you're not alone and you get encouragement and you get advice and you get ideas. Like this is, you know, the, 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 the holy grail, right, of learning is to get people mm. in, a, in a team where they're all learning together. Even if they're not learning the same thing, they're learning also. That, idea, that originally was the idea of the university. Right? Yeah. Is that all these monks just gathered together sure, yeah. uh, to yeah. work around hard problems and learn how to solve them and you know explore the mysteries of God and the universe and, and things like that? Mm. We later did it uh, become sort of professionalized and uh, mm. institutionalized. Yeah, can you hold the thought for a minute? Sure. Yeah, because uh, uh, when I'm talking to Lily, in her field, that's what they do. Uh, they do. Uh, there's a group then they break them into little groups and then they develop a, a project and work together come up with a, a design idea or something like that so they come yeah, up and it, yeah sometimes, it's sometimes called the studio model or studio thinking mm -hmm. and architecture yeah. is, is famous for that that's one of the best things yeah. about yeah. architecture is that it's yeah. highly like i told you the people at mit who were the architects they're the ones yeah. who just lived up in their loft because they were in the studio mm. all the time working on projects. Right. So okay. anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so Con World School, and mm. so they said, ah, but like coming together to sit and listen to a lecture is sort of antisocial, right? Literally, mm. like if you try to talk to your friend during a lecture, you get yelled at and sent to the principal's office. Right. So even though you're physically together in a room, you're doing no actual interaction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, all the, all, all the interaction happens like during recess. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like the benefits of school are not part of school. Mm. Uh, the social aspect. Uh, okay. For the most part, okay. it's changing places and they do more projects and collaboration, mm. things like that. But it, it's still a, a club. So he said, okay. Uh, uh, so uh, Khan, the guy who founded Khan Academy, sat down like a year ago and said, okay, what if we wanted to build like the world's most amazing online school. How would we mm. go about it? And he said, mm. well, the first problem is you have to solve the loneliness problem, mm. right? Because you want to have people feel like they're part of something together. Said, but like, you don't want to, uh, um, but there's a tension between the sort of shared journey you're going on together and personalized learning, right? If you're learning math, 
you want to learn math at your pace where it gives you a personalized instruction about where you need weak, where you're weak, where you need tutoring, where you need practice. You okay. can't say like all six of you have to learn the same thing at the same time because okay. some people are going to learn faster, some are going to learn slower. And, right. you know, it, and so he said, um, the, but, and so he came upon this idea, which is fascinating, mm. which is the, uh, the morning seminar. Mm. And the idea, which I think is really bold, and whether it'll work mm. or not remains to be seen, is that like we take a hard problem, mm. like uh, or a hard question, like mm. uh, you know, will uh, CRISPR gene editing change what it means to be human? Mm. Right. So these interesting hard social problems, and then they create mm. a safe space to have a structured dialogue. Uh, around the, that topic or that question. Okay. And the idea is that they create this cultural uh, around, like we all are, rap are tr trying to learn how to grapple with these kinds of questions and problems. Mm. Mm. And this gives them a place to, you know, talk about stuff like racism or politics or whatever that are very difficult to talk about in our society and are mm. often the source of a great deal of distress and anxiety in kids' lives. Mm. And that that's the thing that they do together as like the whole school to give sort of a common narrative um, where we're working okay. together. And then they have like, uh, you know, Oxford style tutoring and all this Khan Academy things and then special mm. projects. And so he's got this whole system built around that. So okay. uh, the interesting thing is that so he wrote this paper up like a year ago and mm. then he um, talked to my friend Michael Horn, who introduced him mm. to somebody at Arizona State University. Uh, he said, oh, you, if you're thinking of trying to build this, you should talk to them because they have this really uh, 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 cool prep school that they run, which is very advanced, mm. you know, cutting edge collaboration and mm. stuff. Mm. And they started talking and they realized they had the exact same vision. And so okay. Salcon and Arizona and Khan Academy and Arizona State University mm. uh, a month ago launched something called the Khan World School. And they basically mm. okay. take all these great ideas and like redesign mm. the school around this. And as a bonus, um, they are offering it through the Arizona State University Prep School. And okay. so, uh, which means a couple of really cool things. One, people who live in Arizona can go in person to one of these prep schools and they will use okay. sort of the same curriculum, but with the support mm. of a staff and teachers and in-person learning and things like that. Secondly, okay. because they're registered as a charter school in Arizona, it's free for everyone mm. in Arizona. Uh, wow. But Saul designed it to be $10,000 or less, less than $10,000 a year for mm. anyone else to take, you know, okay. with all the tutoring and all the support services, which, you know, compared mm. to like the $30,000 a year we spend at uh, Valley Christian okay, <laughs> or something like that, right? And then mm. the third thing is because they're connected to Arizona State University, these kids yeah. over the course of their four-year high school degree can get a bunch mm. of their college, can get college credit. Oh, credit uh, for that. Okay. Academy, okay. Yeah, already has something with Howard University, where Howard mm. University will recognize their credit. Uh, but they're going oh, to do okay. that. So the idea is that, is that for $10,000 a year, you could get like a world-class, you know, prep school, high school education. Okay. Uh, and uh, you get college credit as part of it. And, okay. and increasingly, and in Arizona, at least, you can get it for free. Um, okay. And then, you know, they're working and trying to get other states to adopt this and so forth. The fourth thing that's really interesting and perhaps even the most radical is that uh, Khan Academy talks about something called mastery education. Have you heard this mm. term? Have we discussed this? Never, never heard of it. Mm. Okay, so, so here's, here's, a, here's a crazy thing about a surgical residency, Dad. Right. Yeah. What if we what if they said, OK, we're going to spend two weeks learning how to do heart surgery. And if okay. you're really good, you'll finish it in two weeks. We'll give you an A. And if you're really mm. bad at doing it, we'll give you a D, but we'll move on to something else. OK. Like that seems like a bad idea. Like you want the person mm. to spend as much time as they need to learn how to do it right. <laughs> OK. You know, and if someone needs yeah, a little bit more weeks, time, you yeah. give them more time. Right. Yeah. And conversely, if like someone's really good at it and he's a a savant, you say, okay, spend a week on heart surgery and then we'll go on to brain surgery, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And the idea is that if you actually care about results, you want people to spend as much time as it takes to get really good at it, okay. regardless of what the calendar says. But our entire educational system for at least 100 years is built around this thing called the Carnegie Hour. 
Um, okay. Which is that, like, if you go to college, you're supposed to take 12 hours of yeah, statistics. Right. Right? Or in high school, yeah. you take, you know, one year of math. And, like, nobody yeah. cares or nobody talks no. about, like, they don't really measure whether you actually learn the stuff. If you've done your mm. one year of but algebra. I thought, you know, I mean, but I thought you had periodic testing, though. Yeah, you do. Yeah. But all it tells you is whether you get an A or a C. It doesn't change what you learn. They don't say, oh, my gosh, you didn't learn this material. Let's go back and make sure you understand it before we go on to the next. It's like, nope. You know, you, you mm. had your one chance. It's, it's, it's one and done. If you don't learn it, mm. you're screwed. And then you move on to the next course. And mm. you have to, you know, sorry, that's what Khan Academy found out, is that people who, like, they're struggling with fifth grade fractions mm. because they never mm. learned third grade division. Mm. And there's no room in the school school day for them to mm. go back and do all that stuff. And now okay. that's why people are putting all this money into tutoring to try to help people catch up on the actual yeah. concept. So the idea of master education is like, let's stop saying, giving people an mm. A or a C based on what they learned in six weeks or 12 weeks or whatever. Let's just say, okay, okay. these are the concepts we want people to master. And mm. we will keep track of which concepts they've mastered. And, mm. you know, then we say, okay, this person, when they're graduating, they have mastered these you know, 12 disciplines with these 48 concepts. And so they're actually ready for college. And so those okay. people who got through with C's, they get to college and they just spend a year taking remedial mm. classes because they don't actually know what they need to do to get to the next level. Okay. And this has been something that people have talked about in, in the education industry for a decade, about yeah. how the high school is locked into this, you must take yeah. these courses for these years to get into college. And whether yeah. or not you learn anything, you have to do this. Mm, um, okay. And, and and so Khan Academy says we're not going to have letter grades. Okay. They say we're going to create this mastery transcript, which shows mm. what you've actually learned, and mm. and then uh, and, and put all of our energy in trying to make sure people are actually learning the right thing, uh, however long it takes them. And okay. So you know, if you're get... not yeah, if you're not mastering it enough, you know. Uh, you take the time. I don't know. Like how, you, you, without a letter grade, how do you know? You, you have to periodically test them and see whether they pass those yeah, but, tests. But, but, but instead of, but yeah, so the point is, is you're not doing tests to grade students whether you're good or bad. You're doing assessments to say, what do you know? How well do you know it? How can you mm. demonstrate that you actually understand these concepts, which are very okay. different than cramming to pass a test, which you know, mm. in theory, the two are the same thing. In practice, they've been diverging over the last 20 right. years. Okay. Right? I mean, you know, there's a joke, uh, the joke, I think it's actually a study, where they did a study of MIT electrical engineers who were graduating mm. and found mm. out they did not know how a radio worked. Mm. I see. Because okay. they're so focused on learning the material, they actually never mm. understand, like, what it does or how it works. Mm. <laughs> how to actually okay. solve real problems. Because you, you've gotten this really dysfunctional system. And so, the idea is that, and the, he actually has a really clever hack for how he solves that problem. In okay. that, one of the things he built during the um, uh, pandemic was something called Schoolhouse.World, which is an mm. online peer tutoring system where anyone can go mm. and either mm. request tutoring or have a tutor mm. or volunteer to help people with tutoring. There's a lot of retired people who know stuff who help out kids, right? The problem okay. is just how do you measure quality? In a right. system. Right. People are just showing up. He says, oh, what we can do is we can, and how do you make sure people are not like cheating, right? So what mm. you do is you go on, you log on, you turn on your mm. camera, mm. and then you, we give you a bunch of problems, and then you solve them, and you explain how you solve them. Mm. And then we have a thing where other people can rate and review you. And okay. it's all part of your permanent record, in that everyone mm. can say, oh, yeah, this person solved this thing, and this person reviewed it and said, like, it, this was a good thing. And, and if you get assigned a tutor, you can go and check their portfolio showing you how they demonstrated their mastery. And if you like, that does not sound like a person that I would want to trust, then you don't have to take them, right? You have all that information publicly available for deciding. Mm, okay. and, and the really funny thing is college universities, mm. if, you, if you pass these things, you get a tutoring certificate saying you are qualified to tutor on schoolhouse.world in these very specific subjects. It's not like just okay. algebra. It's like, you know, factorization about polynomials, whatever. All these different sub things that Khan Academy has spent, you know, 
you know, okay. a long time building up all these uh, assessments, you can demonstrate mastery in a publicly verifiable way in order to become okay. a tutor on schoolhouse.world. And okay. so now colleges are saying, oh, when you apply, include your schoolhouse.world portfolio so I can see what you've actually oh. demonstrated mastery in. So they recognize it. Okay. Mm. Yes, and that's the thing, and that was the thing that was exciting to me. I realized that Khan Academy has the brand mm. and the technology and mm. the clout to go to where Harvard and MIT and University mm. of California will say, oh, you know, give us your Khan Academy uh, transcript wow. and their standards okay. around this and other people looking at it. And like, forget yeah. about the grade. Like, mm. forget about making everyone march through these Carnegie hours. Just like, help okay. people. Um, you know, just make sure that they learn and show us proof mm. that they learn, and that's good enough. And that will reduce like eighty mm. percent of the administrative overhead <laughs> that occurs okay. in your typical uh, mm. classroom. So anyway, this is yeah. um, this is all just background. <laughs> okay. To a funny story, um, mm. literally a funny story. So I was talking about this on Twitter with my friend mm. Michael Horn, who's been talking about that. It's been very you know soft launch. They're only doing like two hundred okay. students this fall. If you apply really okay. uh, oh. aggressively to get in, because it's very experimental, but the goal is obviously right. to scale it up over right. the next few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You need to evaluate it after a few uh, years to see yeah. which is better. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, people. A lot of people see, won't I, I, they I, see people for yeah. four years. If you can put the pause button one second, see mm -hmm. for people who are really motivated and uh, people who are really the upper echelon of learning, this will work really well. But it may not work yeah. in uh, people who are, let's say, C grade or going back to the letter grade, uh, because mm -hmm. we, you and I know oh, that oh, some oh, people, oh, yeah, some people well, who did uh, poorly, yeah, some people who did poorly in uh, uh, elementary school did well in high school, and people who did well in didn't do well in high school did much better in college because the learning was different. I particularly personally, the Indian hmm. method of learning was not good for me. Whereas the the America, when I came here, as a, yeah, and this is lecture, all the things that you're talking about. Whereas when yeah. I came to the U.S., uh, it was all more practical. Of course, it was a different. Well, 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 different. Re it's also residency, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's mostly yeah. hands-on learning. Right. You, you, but, but you've heard my joke. The, yeah. Uh, you heard my joke, joke. that the only the, the most useful parts of education mm. are mm. preschool and graduate school because you're mm. actually applying what you use every day. Okay. Everything else has mm. turned into this march to get you into college, to get you a degree, well, whether or not you actually uh, use it. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, we we can leave okay. it for another time. Yeah, because I okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, we leave it for another time. But go back. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Okay. It's a great point. And, and, and they're very explicit about this, right? Like for the first batch, you need to have the mm. really highly motivated self-starters right. who right. can function. Um, or you have to be in Arizona State where you mm. have a physical school with a place and funding mm. and support to help people okay. do it, right? Mm. So, uh, and, and so, like, uh, so I saw this and I said, okay, well, clearly, assuming this works, like, I thought this was cool, but I feel like this is not right for Rohan because his favorite thing in the world is theater and music. Mm. And Khan World School has nothing for that, right? Because that's right. a physical right. in-person no. extracurricular thing. Sure. And, right. Right? and also, like, there's a problem. Like, like now in the pandemic, I can, you know, I, I can work from home. You know, a lot of people work from home, but that's changing over time as people go back or, or whatever. Yeah. And, of course, you want people to have some social interactions with friends. And I said, okay, well, no. clearly, if Khan World School works, they only mm. demand for these sort of safe spaces for kids to hang out while they go through all these courses and have some okay. socialization, right? Okay. And it's okay. like, okay, that's the first point. Like, mm. and secondly, like, what would that look like? Well, you would want it to be not just the warehouse where they just sit there and work on stuff, but like mm. a place that has all the other extracurricular stuff, like band mm. and music yeah, yeah. and theater right. and sports, right? right? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, okay. So what's the business model for that? It's like, because, you know, how do you charge for that? And how do you get the right people? And how do you make sure it's high quality? And I was like, oh, think of it like a mall, right? Which has a bunch mm. of core services like childcare for really little kids or 
activities and supervision. And then you have different organizations that can compete for, you know, uh, uh, storefronts in the mall, right? You have, you know, mm. these, like the Contra Choir, right? Could have a, a, a place in the mall for that. Or they, you know, they have a music studio that they share with five other choirs, right? You could have this. Mm. And the idea of a mall is interesting uh, for two reasons. One is that it's this dynamic ecosystem like a city, right? It's not like there's mm, one professor yeah. that's hired and that's it. And if he's awesome, you're great. And if it sucks, you're stuck with him. You could have right. an ecosystem of all these different services there competing. Mm. Uh, secondly, you could also then, you know, um, uh, extend it. Like, why not have companies building internships in the mall, right? Okay. Where people can come to a right. machine shop and build stuff, right? You could you don't have to have this rigid thing like this is a school, everything is nonprofit and run by the state, or this mm. is a business. You could have this mix of educational and sure. professional mm. and career development and lifelong learning. Like why stop when you're, you know, 18, you get kicked out in the world, you could stay there and keep learning as long as there's things okay. to learn and do. Right. Okay. Um, okay. And so, right. And then the business model is that, well, actually, so the person running this would be like the real estate developer, right? They're not concerned mm. about, you know, it's like when you run a mall, you don't like worry about exactly what all the stores are stocking, right? Mm, They're each autonomous yeah. storekeepers, but you have like standards of quality, you have standards of safety, you have standards of compliance. Like it's exactly mm. like running a mall. It's like, you know, hey, if you're here, you have to abide by these rules. You have to be really clear, like which things mall kids can go into, which things they can't go into. But those mm. are like simple governance things that the mall owner could worry about. And then everything else okay. could be a free market for all these different services and whatever. It's like, okay, clearly it just seems obvious to me that if Con World Schools is going to succeed, it will need something like this mm. to complement the, the online virtual stuff precisely so that you can get all the structure and support and all these things that other people need beyond just the high-performing self-starters, right? Okay. You know, so that, that was the vision I had. It's like, okay, so what we call mm. so. I think like the, the phrase that I, I thought about is like, we have all these enrichment centers, like people go for after school programs. Uh, yeah, right. So call it an enrichment mall, but like a mm. community enrichment mall, but I spell it with a KH for Khan Academy, like K-H-A-N for Khan. So okay. I came up with this idea of the, 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 um, yeah. Oh, hello. I'm just checking in. Yeah. Oh. Hold on. Give me a second. Yep. That's my dad. And he's checking in on the, he's picking up the kids. She's leaving for work now. Oh, okay. The uh, kids the are in the yeah. camp? camp? Uh, yeah, they, they, they're in the 1230. The, the dogs okay. are, uh, I was to play outside, so I came out to the back. <laughs> okay. Um, um, where were we? So, yeah, so uh, this idea of the community enrichment mall, it's like, look, this is a cool idea. Like, and so I pitched it on the Twitter with my, my friend there, and he thought it was interesting. And I said, you know, and this is like the punchline of this whole extended crazy story is I said, mm. you know, I feel like there's a science fiction story in there that's begging to be told about mm. these community enrichment malls and this picture okay. of what the future could be. And so, you know, I do these different uh, dialogues and uh, mm. stories on my blog. So I mm. sat down over a day or two and wrote out this story of the community enrichment mall. I'll put it in the show notes and send it to you. Okay. And I sent a copy to him and said, like, hey, does this make sense? He goes, sure. You know, and uh, we uh, tagged Sal Khan on there. I don't know if anyone's going to read it. But, like, I put okay. it on there. He, you know, favorited it. And, uh, you know, we mentioned it to a few people. No one picked up on it. But I'm like, that was fun. Mm. That was cool. Mm. And I felt like it was useful. And I realized mm. I've done this for a lot of startups that I've been part mm. of. Something yeah. Before I do the startup, like I wrote the Traversity thing way back in the day uh, mm. around education. And I'm okay. thinking, you know, I bet a lot of startups could really benefit from this, where mm. they're working on an interesting hard problem and they're trying to create a mm. vision of the future, but they mm. can't articulate what that vision of the future is. And they can't, mm. in particular, they can't articulate the emotion of mm. what that future is. Now, if you remember, I did a 20-part uh, series when I worked at Matterport 
uh, about okay. uh, 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 so we were working there on this really futuristic holographic uh, imaging technology. Mm. Oh, and okay. so I, I, so I like, and I was director of platform. So I, I kind of like I, I want to kind of create a, a narrative to help people imagine what the world could be like. So it, and mm. I think Avengers, the uh, twenty first uh, Iron Man had just come out, and so mm. I wanted to do like an Iron Man type thing. But I said, you know, it, uh, Iron Man's kind of boring. He's like this older guy. You want someone who's like young who's like grappling mm. with technology. And I said, well, let's make up Tony Stark's daughter. That makes it fun, right? Because then mm. you know, she's kind of playing around with the technology. And then I looked around and I discovered like, who we had a daughter with. And actually mm. his, his long-term love interest was actually a supervillain. Villain? Uh, yeah, mm. called uh, Sunset mm. Bane. Mm. And I was thinking, oh, that makes it even more exciting. What if this is the daughter of the supervillain who's trying to destroy Tony Stark? Mm. And that created this really interesting plot twist and mm. emotional narrative. So, and, and so what what I did was is take this you know this technology that I wanted to explore, and then I set it in the science fiction future. And then I created this character who had this really deep emotional wounding and mm. you know a vendetta. And then I wrote this huge you know basically like a, a season of television with these twenty episodes of her. Mm. Which you, you introduce the character and you discover her. Uh, quest, and then you discover that she's uh, trying to kill Tony Stark, and then you discover that he's his, she's his daughter, and then there's all these revelations and emotional journeys that they go on. Um, okay. And like that was fun, and like I had people, I got fired halfway through or before the last three episodes, and people were okay. like, "Hey, are you ever going to finish that thing?" And so I finished it uh, even mm. after I left it because they gotten you know they started getting um, some following. The word uh, invested. They got invested in the characters. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, you know, when you're watching a TV series. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, how can you watch that? Well, I'm invested in these characters. Right, yeah. And it's like, and so I did that for this. Is I found a character. I'll send you the the, the, the link to that. And I said, like, I could do this. And mm. so I called up my friend Anish. Mm. And I said, like, I have this idea. And mm. he goes, okay, we'll be your first customer. And so I'm going to meet with them tomorrow to do the briefing and try and get like a sense for like what's the soul of their company and how to yeah. write a story about it. And so, you know, in the last few days, I've put together a website and pricing mm. and, you know, taken the, you know, dozen or so stories I've written over the years that are in this genre and it's like mm. as my portfolio. So it's like, I've already done this a lot and now I'm going to yeah. take this hobby and go pro. And like, this seems like, and so I shared this with Sunday. It's like, you know, Hey, I don't know if this mm. will work, but it's a really cheap thing to do. It's not a mm. job replacement. It's like, you know, it's a, it's, it's getting paid for my hobby that I can do on evenings and weekends. Okay. And you know, if this works, well, I make a few hundred dollars a month, we can put it into the kids college fund and we have some more margin and so forth. And she looked okay. at it and said, yeah, I, I, that, that seems reasonable. And maybe it'll even be more successful than you think it will be, which is the opposite of my usual conversations with my wife about my crazy startup ideas, right? Right, right. Her usual reaction is like, oh, I can think all the ways it could go wrong and it's not going to be successful. But it's like I managed to come up with an idea that was practical enough and a soft now, sell. Okay, this, yeah. I, I, niche, or, I, I niche or somebody. Is he yeah. going to be like a venture capitalist? Or is no, he going he's to be a customer. He's what we call customer zero. Let's find mm. the first problem is the easiest for you to solve. Okay, yeah, hold on. Yeah. Okay. My wife reminded me to water the dogs. It's getting okay. really hot here in California. Um, yeah, even here so yeah. in the hundreds, yeah. Mm. Wow, yeah. Mm. Uh, it's not yet there, but it's getting up there. Um, so anyway, the, yeah, so mm. the idea is that if you find a good first customer, they okay. help you co-define, co-design the product. And so yeah. Anisha's a company. Almost and, like a pilot. Anisha, this is like a pilot. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And the thing is, is that, like, I know Anish really well. You know, he mm. worked here at Matterport six years ago. And we have lots mm. of talks about theology and personal growth and stuff like that. So I have a good mm. idea of his psyche. And, you know, I'm actually not just an advisor to his company. I'm also a customer of his company because we use their products at Nato. And oh, so this is the perfect okay. mm. Yeah, there's a whole crazy thing that happened uh, last year where I suddenly mm. realized, uh, as I told Anise, I finally realized why my job sucks and it's your fault because this is the problem mm. that your company is supposed to solve of mm. how do we help human beings make decisions together around data. And mm. 
And so that's led to this amazing journey, uh, both in terms of what they're building in their product and what we're doing at Nato. But mm. so, um, and I've done little consulting gigs here and there. So it's, it's so like, it's literally up on my website now. Anyone can email me if they want to. I don't expect anyone to, but I've started seeing mm. friends I have in the industry. And like the idea is there's like, you pay me $500 for the initial analysis and then $500 for the finished story. Mm. And, you know, if that works out, it'll be, you know, maybe it's like say eight hours of work for a thousand bucks, which is not bad. You know, that's, yeah. uh, uh, and certainly as a hobby, it's, it's really good. And, you know, it, it's something that I wouldn't necessarily want to do it for a living because it's a lot of emotional energy, but, mm. you know, it's the sort of thing that, if, you know, down the road, if, you know, I get a million bucks out of this startup when it uh, exits or whatever, then, you know, it's something I can do part-time or whatever. Right. And it's also something I can even do when I'm retired, right. Is you just have to talk to people and write a story that's not very physical or, very intense and okay. like you can just do it once whenever you feel like it right it's not like you have to have these regular things that everyone's expecting you to show up for it's just okay. whenever you feel like it and then you know if i get good at it the other thing that's interesting about it is it's a great way to talk to people and uh, build connections and build a brand right because everyone wants to talk about like in silicon valley everyone wants to talk everyone wants to talk about their startup and what's hard right about it, right, right? right. Uh, it's almost like being a priest in some ways in that mm. you're trying to get people to share their pains and their fears, and then you give mm. them a narrative where they see it as redemptive rather mm. than stressful. Okay. And so uh, the blog is called Startup Fiction. I'll send you a link mm. afterwards. And my first call is with Anish tomorrow afternoon. And mm. this okay. is kind of the, 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 the big moment where if I'm able to really build a connection and mm. really get the right information, uh, mm. You know, based on what I know about their industry and what I know about any, so it's interesting. I have some ideas of the the narrative plot I want to tell, okay. like what's the setting and what's thing, but I have no clue about how their technology plays into this because I have to get both to make this work. Right? I have to both have a compelling narrative around interesting characters so people want to read okay. the thing, they get invested in it, but it also right. has to showcase a vision of the technology and why their technology is essential to making the the story work. You know, and, okay, so uh, uh, just to get a just to get a understanding of what you're going to do, let's uh, mm -hmm. assume that uh, Anish um, is uh, involved in genetics, uh, like a genetical makeup of a certain disease. Okay, right. Then exactly. In fact, story, that is in fact uh, one of their their core market is actually about building data tools for biomedical researchers to get results more accurately okay. and faster. Yeah. So uh, the story will be uh, the, the hero or uh, the main Heroine, character yeah. will be yeah. or heroine or main characters uh, uh, will have a problem and uh, somebody is trying to identify it and uh, using their technology, that type of thing. Because, you know, recently I've been studying, uh, reading some novels and where uh, one of them was about uh, genes, uh, how they worked with the genetic modifications and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So something like that. Okay, all right. I understand. Okay. Yeah, and, and let me give you an example. I just read a, a novel called Zodiac by my mm. man, Neil Stevenson. He's my favorite author, uh, mm. my favorite living author. And it's set in Boston in the 1980s where he's mm. this kind of uh, rogue environmental activist. They call him mm. the Granola James Bond. Uh, okay. He uses, uh, we call him a MacGyver today, I suppose, because he uses ordinary things okay. to take down these big polluting chemical corporations. But okay. the plot, uh, main plot device is there's this genetically engineered bug yeah. that this corporation is trying to use to uh, um, uh, disguise their toxic waste and it okay. backfires horribly. And so the point is okay. there's a lot of deep science going on in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the plot is less about I mean, and so it's a big piece of the plot is that mm. technological thing, just like a big piece of the plot is this environmental thing. But yeah. the story is, um, and he gets better at this in some of his later novels, it's about, like, he builds a compelling character, right, the Granola James Bond, and he uses that mm. as a way to talk about, you know, the, the promise and dangers of technology and the, the tensions right. and the corruption of, of industry. And, like, that's the thing I want to do is like, it may not be, the technology may not be the focus. Like mm. the, 
like which the ideal thing, and you'll see this in the um, uh, hopefully in the the story I wrote about con, uh, the community enrichment mall, is that mm. the context is the technology. Like that's the mm. thing that you have to understand the technology. And, uh, and there's a book that does this really well called Liars Coker. Have you mm. heard about this? It's the book that no. Michael Lewis wrote about Wall Street in the 80s. You remember the 80s, no. right? When Wall Street yeah, right. and uh, oh, yeah. Gordon Gecko and all that stuff happened. So a lot of that yeah. uh, culture and that popularization of it was from this book called Liar's Poker that he wrote about all the crazy things oh. he experienced while working in Wall Street okay. in the 80s. Mm. And the funny thing was, he meant it as a cautionary tale about like, but it also became an inspiration for people to want to go into <laughs> working oh, okay. on Wall Street, you know. But the, it, he, it, Michael Lewis, he was doing the podcast talking about it. He said, you know, I kind of get a bad rap for this because people say oh. I'm really good at explaining things. He goes, mm. I'm not good at explaining things in general. But what mm. I am good at doing is I create a character who faces a hard problem. Mm. And I explain just enough of the, of the technology or mm. the, the industry so that people understand what is emotionally at stake in solving this problem. Mm. And that's the interesting thing to do, is not mm. to talk about the technology in itself, but talk okay. about the emotional stake. Like, if they can solve this problem, this is what's on the line. Okay. And that emotional narrative behind the technology mm. is the thing that marketers dream of, right? Is oh, you want to okay. just grab the customer by their throat and say, like, do you feel this emotion? It's like, yes, mm. then this is mm. the thing that will help you process that emotion in a healthy way where you feel empowered rather than mm. in a negative way where you feel shamed and stressed and alone. Okay, okay. And, um, okay. Mm. Yeah, so that's the, um, that's kind of the very long narrative arc, but in some ways, okay. it's really helpful mm. for me to talk through all the technology, all the background, all the dead ends, all the different things I'm working on. Mm. And, um, you know, and, in the context of everything that I have worked on over the last seven years, you know, since I left Apple and all the failed startups and everything else. Right. Uh, okay. I guess almost eight years. Actually, it was actually literally it was eight years in April that I decided I was going to leave Apple. And so it's been oh, this okay. extraordinary journey. And this is the first thing where I feel like uh, it's not a startup exactly, but it's at least a viable business that. Okay. Now, so uh, when you're going gets to, me to, to where I want to go. Okay. No, oh, when you're talking to Anish, you already have the everything ready to go, or you still have to polish oh, some of the oh, things. So, the, so I, I have some raw ideas I'm bringing in. So the the first meeting is what I call mm. the soul search, where okay. I sit down and say, okay, tell me about your company. How was it founded? Okay. Why did you want to do it? What do you struggle mm. with? What do your customers struggle with? And I try to build mm. this uh, emotional model of what is mm. important to them, whether it's the big deals, like this is our core product, or even the small yeah. details, like, you know, are there any funny stories or inside jokes or mascots that you have in your company, right? Mm. And then the idea is I take all that raw material mm. uh, and I put that into what I call a culture brief. Like, this is mm. how I summarize what your company is about, right? Okay. Not so much the technology product side, but all the emotion and the uh, 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 vision around that. And so okay. this, this is the first thesis of how I'm going to do this, right? This could be really a horrible idea and then I'll rewrite it for the next one, but I got to start somewhere. So first I do this soul search where I pull all this information out of them and then I create this culture brief where I give them this document saying, okay, this is the thing that I think really characterizes your company. And I basically tell them their story back to them in a more coherent way. And the goal is yeah. to say, yes, you have described my life and what it feels like better than I could do myself, right? That's the okay. criteria for success. But I, they feel like I get them, that I see them. And that's mm. the first thing they pay me for is for like creating this thing. And I say, okay, now and you're going to talk like only see... to you're going to talk only to Anish or to other people in the company. To, to, him, to him and his co-founder, okay. uh, the two of them that have been with the company for the you know for years, and everyone else has been with the company for like a year or two, and they're not really involved in the story. Um, right. And they may bring in more, but I think that two people is certainly for the first time this is the easiest to manage because I know both of them have a relationship with them. Um, you know, they okay. trust me and it's a nice, well-defined thing. Uh, okay. you know, I can imagine different ways of doing this in the future when I have more time and more resources, but this is clearly the right way to start. 
is just the two of them for an hour or so talking about okay. their pain points and and excitement points and uh seeing where we go and, and then okay. i can you know be very clumsy about it because it's two friends rather than like if i go to a larger company i have to have a really polished deck and a pitch and yeah the right questions and so here i can just you know, run with it and anything here will be useful so i create okay. this new soul search then we do the culture brief and that i think will be a useful document in and of itself right to yeah, use that right. for recruiting and onboarding yeah. or other marketing events um, sure but uh it's easier to build that when i have a, a second deliverable which is the story i'm going to write for them right right and okay. we don't really know what the story is going to be until i yeah, and we don't really oh, yeah. know how good it's going to be, like, right, you know, what it's going to be good for. Is it going to be just an internal yeah. thing? And I think they'll be willing to do it just to, like, help me out because they would appreciate getting the story. But then we'll then they'll find out whether it's something that actually helps them recruit people or energize the team. Do they want to share it with everyone inside their company? Do they want to share it with right. the customers? Yeah, I don't uh, know both internal, and, uh, well, both internal and external, yeah. Right. Um, and so... Yeah. The, the the next piece is just sort of a I'm calling it a concept brief, where I say this is sort of the 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 shape of the story, and it's kind of like the the one paragraph blurb on the back of the book that tells mm, you yeah. a little bit what the story is yeah. about, so you can decide whether yeah. you want to read it. It doesn't give away yeah. all the plot, but it, it hints at some of the key yeah. tensions. Right. And I think that's the first thing I write, and I give that to them and say, okay, this is what the story is going to be about. I'm not mm. going to give away all the details because I haven't written them yet, but I want to make yeah. sure that the the, the pitch. Uh, uh, maybe concept pitch is a better term, and that we yeah. iterate on that until we say, like, okay, given this culture, I can see how this story would tap into that. Go for it. Um, mm. And then I write the story, right? Okay. And and then I just have to write it, and then it's sort of like take it or leave it, <laughs> right? Okay. Because you know, right, I, right. you know, it's a lot of effort to write a story, and I have to just to trust that it'll work for them. And and then the uh, the last piece is that. Uh, I get a, the rights to host, I keep the copyright, I, I can host the story on my blog, but I give them a full license to use it however they want, right? They can distribute okay. it internally, they can post it externally, they can take some of the characters and images from the thing and use it in their own marketing material, you know, whatever they want to do with it, they can give it to other people to write follow-on stories for, right? So they have the full rights to it to do whatever they want, okay. but I at least have the right to the original one so I can publish it and use okay. it in my own marketing and advertising. Okay. Okay. That's the model. And the idea is that they okay. get $500 for the culture brief and $500 for the finished story, more if they want something longer. And okay. like in the future, I could do, you know, comic books. I could do short movies. I could do skits for a company retreat, right? There's lots of different things that could yeah. be done which would require okay. more effort and more people and more money. Um, mm. And I may not even want to go there. But, you mm. know, if you get the story right, right, that's something we've learned from Marvel Studios. Mm the mm. last decade or two is that if you can create a character with a compelling mm. story that people yeah. latch on to there's a nearly infinite right. number of ways to monetize that yeah. right right okay okay uh, okay see i i, I totally know uh idea what we were going to talk about i thought we were going to go back to the book we, uh, review but uh, that's fine uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Me, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. And uh, keep me posted on the uh, progress. Yeah. So uh, maybe and, we can have this uh, where you uh, and I called it the, the, today we choose voices because mm. you know the play on the podcast today we choose faces, uh, the book mm. that we did first. Yeah. Um, where um, it's trying to help people find their voice. Mm. You know, is, is is that most companies have a face, but they don't really have a voice. And if I can tell a story about the emotion of going, mm. what's going on in there, it gives not just them a voice to speak to their customers, but it gives voice mm. to the pain, the hopes, and the fears that they're trying to address. Mm. And so that's where the, the title came from. And okay. that's, um, and this is also, uh, in some ways, I'm kind of choosing my voice, right? Is, as I talk about this with you, this is the story I tell about why I'm telling these stories. Like I want to post this blog, this podcast on the uh, company, on my company's um, uh, blog page. So people want to know like, why am I doing this? How did I get here? Okay. Not everyone will want okay. to know, but it's part of the backstory, okay. right? It'll people be there. Curious. Yeah, it'll be there. Yeah. yeah. All right. So maybe you okay. can pray for me and then I will okay. end this mm. and then you can call back and we can talk about the other stuff. Okay, ma.
All right. Mm. Loving and gracious God, we thank you and praise you for all the manifold ways in which uh, you have created human beings, uh, especially uh, our son Ernie. The height and the length and the depth of knowledge that he's exploring in various ways, some of them expected, some of them unexpected. But we thank you for giving him the intelligence uh, to do all these things. I pray that you'll guide him and uh, give him the necessary resources he needs from uh, your infinite uh, source that you have and what you're imparting to him. I pray that uh, you'll be with him as he, first of all, prepares uh, for this uh, meeting with Ainish tomorrow and his partner. And pray that, you know, if this is what you uh, want him to do, uh, this is what, uh, uh, by doing this, that uh, both uh, his uh, health and wealth will be uh, blessed, but also uh, your name will be glorified through this, uh, ultimately, it will be aligned to your will, Lord. And uh, I have limited knowledge on these things, but uh, I am 100% in support of this, uh, what he's doing. And uh, I'm so happy to hear that Sandhya also is on board. So we pray for our success in this endeavor that Ernie is doing. And uh, we thank you already that you're going to prosper him. And uh, again, use him uh, not only to... Uh, fulfill his desire to change things, but also benefit uh, many other people uh, to achieve what they need and what they want to do and uh, what they want to achieve. So uh, we again uh, place this project uh, at your doorstep and we want uh, you to bless this effort that Ernie is making and uh, also prepare the minds of Ainish and his uh, co-founder. So they'll be receptive to what Ernie is going to pitch and uh, it'll be beneficial to all of them. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, all right. Now. Just a favor. I'm going to go eat lunch. Maybe you can call me at 1210. 30 minutes. Okay. All right. All right. There's there's nothing much. I just, no, Ma. Uh, it's going to okay. be a one minute talk. A one minute talk. So I'll call you right back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's only one minute. Okay. Okay. Okay.